What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad you're with us. Turn it to Robert Latal from BSO. Uh, you can go to Black Sports Online, find out some of the latest articles that's going on regarding George Floyd and other news around sports. Also find him on TMZ Sports. Rob joins us here on ESPN 1000. Rob, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Uh, no, I appreciate you, you having me on and uh, giving me a chance to talk. Uh, you know, our voices definitely are needed these days. Yeah, that's no question. There's no question about that. I just want to reach out to you. Uh, and be able to connect with you on this George Floyd story. I just want to know um, your initial reaction to the video, because more times than not, you're always first to be able to uh, let us know what is going on in the news. It, it posts a lot of times on your site first. So when you first were able to attain that video, what was going through your mind? Not again. You know, I mean, I think that's the, that's the thing. It's like, not again. Are we going to do this again? You know, or, how many times do we have to, to see it? And you try not to get numb to it, but the, the, the part of me that would be surprised by this is, is over. You know, I, I wasn't surprised, but, you know, I look at it, and, then you know, at first, you, you always hear whispers first. And you're like, oh, this video's bad, or this is what happened. And you hope to yourself, well, maybe people are exaggerating, et cetera, et cetera. And then you literally watch, you know, a man, you know, lose his life over like a 10-minute minute period, while the cop had his hand in his pocket without a care in the world, just casually taking someone's, you know, life, and you sit back and you think, you like, you know, it's 2020, and what, how, what has changed? I mean, we, I mean, we've seen this for, for centuries now, and it's and honestly, I think I'm past the part where, like, I'm, 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 I'm more upset and frustrated than, you know, sad. Like, of course, I'm sad for his family mm-hmm. and things of that nature, but I'm like, I'm angry that, that we haven't gotten – you know, we haven't seemed to have gotten any farther than we have, you know, back in the 50s, the 70s, the 1800s. It seems like it's just a repeat of, of the same process. Rob, I, this seems to me that it's hitting different than uh, most of these stories. C- clearly, each one of these stories that we continue to see seemingly on a weekly basis uh, hurts. It hurts me as a black man. It hurts uh, many that watch these videos. But I just, when we saw over the weekend just the amount of protests across all 50 states in one way, shape, or form, like I saw what happened in Salt Lake, how it was just people mm-hmm. were, were marching. I saw like in, in, in pockets of California and Oregon, all of this. How, does it feel different to you this story other versus others yeah i think it's different and i always say you know the visuals uh always kind of change the way people respond to things i think a lot of our country i'll be perfectly honest with you when you tell them that a a a cop has brutalized a black person and there's not a clear video 
they make excuses. Oh, was he complying or what did happen here? Or there's good cops and all of this stuff. This was the type of video, even though we've had video before, but this was the type of video where the guy, the killer, is staring right in your face. You know what I mean? He's staring in your face. And the black person that he's murdering under his knee is staring right in your face, begging, you know, for his life. And I think the fact that's visceral, um, and you can't make excuses for that. There, there's no way you can watch that and be a good human being and come up with any type of excuse, you know, for that or rationalization, you know, for that justification for that. If you do, you're a racist and a horrible person. And I think what you see when you see with these protests, I, and I use my eyes. I don't trust the media. When I use my eyes, I see uh, in some cases, in some cities, in some states, I see more white people out there than black people. You know, I mean, I see, I see more white people with their hands up and fists in the air and Black Lives Matter signs than, 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 than black people. It's telling me that the good part of this country, the good people in this country is like, this is enough. You know, we can't keep living like this, you know, but we're riding from the top down, meaning that, you know, from the presidency down, you know, you see what side he's on and everything. And you have this, re- this huge divide. And, of course, it's a racial divide, but I'm thinking it's not even it's a racial divide. And it's a country divide. Like, we have good people in this country, and we have bad people, and their their sides, it's like a civil war. Robert Littal from BlackSportsOnline.com and TMZ Sports with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Let's try to figure out how we can measure some of these statements, Rob, when it comes to mm-hmm. – I saw what Tiger Woods said, and I also saw what Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, said. What, what oh. is best – uh, is it not saying anything and having no response or saying something on social media? Because a lot of these statements are not passing the smell test for many. Well, I think you have to say something, right? But I think what you, when you say something and people don't trust you, like say the NFL, you have to follow that up with some sort of action. I don't see Roger Goodell down there with the protesters. I don't see some of these owners who are putting out these statements down here with the protesters. I don't see them using the words police officers and brutality in these statements. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think when they don't trust you, a statement is not enough. Anybody can write a quick two-minute statement, have your PR person write a statement, and you go back to living your cushy, you know, life. And if you're someone like, you know, say say Michael Jordan or, or you're, like you mentioned, uh, Tiger Woods, you know, sometimes your statement you know, actually ends up doing more harm than good. I mean, Tiger Woods just literally simply said, hey, I trust the cops to win the beach ass. Excuse me, I didn't mean to curse. No, yeah, go I ahead. Trust the cops <laughs> when it, yeah. You know, I trust the cops when to use force against you. When it's clearly you cannot trust the cops, you know, on this. And I think what happens is that in times like this, I think people's true colors come out. If you use your eyes, use your ears, see, see what's really happening, you know, maybe some of the people that you thought were down for you, are not down for you. Maybe some of the people that you didn't even know was down for you are down for you. And then maybe the people that, you know, you've been seeing how how they are for years and years show you that's exactly, you know, who they are. Rob, um, Michael Jordan's statement, do you believe it carries uh, more weight since the documentary or does it seem, did that seem benign to you as well? Well, I think he made a statement because of the documentary and he got a lot of pushback on the, the fact that maybe he's not a very political uh, person, but you know, I read those statements, and like I said, you know, it's it's Michael Jordan. You know how I mean, he's in North Carolina. I know there's protests going on in North Carolina. If we, if he was out there for five minutes, 
just said, hey, I'm with you. I hear you. I'll do what I can to help. Talk to some protesters. March a little bit. That goes. That would go so much further than a, a nicely crafted PR. That's not. That's gonna piss anybody off on either side. Type of you know statement. Like I said, I appreciate the fact that he's saying something because you can't force anybody to say anything. But it would be so much better if we could see these you know Patrick Mahomes and all. If we could see their faces in that crowd, because you know, hey, listen, a cop is not gonna shoot a rubber bullet at, at Michael Jordan. You know, the Kansas City Police. Are not going to throw Patrick Mahomes to the ground. You know, they, these guys have this type of power where if they got out there, first off, I think they can maybe calm some sort of, you know, the people, but it also would allow these protests, I think, to, to happen because nobody, nobody, no cop wants to be the cop that, you know, hit Michael Jordan with tear gas. You know what I mean? Right. So they could do more. You know, I appreciate the comments, but I feel like they could do more. Rob, um, why do you believe that there was backlash from those in the black media community on Colin Kaepernick? Because it all circles back to him and his what he wanted to do to be able to shine a light on police brutality. You know, I, I here's the thing that I, I've learned, you know, over my years is that no matter what black people do, uh, if it doesn't mesh with, you know, what white people think they should do, uh, they're going to twist it around. So, you know, if we do the peaceful protest, then it's going to be you don't respect the flag, you don't respect the military, uh, blah, blah, blah. You don't respect law enforcement, right? If it gets a little bit less peaceful, then it's your riders and looters that protect your community and your animals and your thugs. So it puts you in a tough situation. It doesn't matter what Colin Kaepernick did. The fact that he tried to shine a light on something that was obviously going on in our country and it was happening in the NFL, and the NFL is very much – on brand with some of the uh, allegiances of the White House and things of that nature, they just couldn't have them around. I mean, but I mean, it didn't take Colin Kaepernick for us to know that police brutality happened. I mean, I mean that that that's to me what people say. Well, Colin Kaepernick was right. Well, I mean, we knew you know Rodney King. We saw that. You know, we saw what happened to Martin Luther King. We saw that. We know that we come from slavery. So I mean, it's not like we don't know that it's happening. It's just the fact that any time that people of color decide to say, listen, this is enough. You got to stop treating us like subhumans. You got to treat us equally. You can't, you know, just be killing us in the street. The response from America, a part of America, is let's bring in the military and tear gas them and shoot them and could show our, our dominance over them. I think that word dominance is very interesting when said by Donald Trump. It's, it's basically a way of saying, look, I'm in charge. You need to be submissive. You should be lucky we allow you to be in this country. You know, to me, terms and, and the way people articulate things says, you know, a lot. He's not saying let's figure this out together. He said, I'm the dominant person here and you're the, you know, the subhuman. And that's just not going to fly anymore. Uh, Rob Latell from uh, BlackSportsOnline.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. I'm so glad that you, uh, and you're always on it, so I'm not surprised. I'm just glad that you're putting up these uh, videos and some of these uh, photos of those that are mimicking the George Floyd death. Uh, and I'm Ooh. seeing I'm seeing this uh, across the, uh, your your website here and on Twitter. And it's just like, you know, Rob, I'm not outraged by it. Uh, uh, and, and here's why. I'm glad that those are uh, that you're putting those up there because now I can see how some people are. I'd I'd rather know face to face who you are than for you to hide it, you know, and tell me, mm -hmm. oh, you know, everything's fine. Now, actually, I'm I'm glad I'm getting some of this feedback on social media and then seeing what you're posting because 
people are going to do what they want to do. Absolutely. I mean, it, I always say the day, you know, obviously people that are outwardly uh, racist and outwardly doing things are dangerous people. But I said even the more dangerous people and the reason that, you know, we have what's going on right now is the one that you don't know, your neighbor, your coworker, you know, the person that you go out drinking with on the softball team with, you know, the one that you could never tell, you know, that they have these type of feelings uh, about, you know, African-Americans or politics and things like that. Uh, but that, those people do go out and vote. And then you realize, how did it happen? Well, that's, that's how it happened. That's why, like, don't listen to polls. Poll, uh, polling is only if people want to tell you who they want to vote for. You know, it doesn't actually tell you who they will, you know, vote for. So to me, when they're trying to do it in secret and it, it leaks out a little bit, then it's important that I go out, find those people, and let, and let these people know that, listen, your, your CEOs, your vice presidents, your head of HR, you know, the people that are running these businesses and these companies, this is how they really feel, you know, about African-Americans. And these are the people that are empowered to make decisions if African-Americans get loans, get jobs, get housing, and things like that. That's a scary thought because almost everyone that I call out or I quote-unquote expose are in some sort of position of power where they may run across a black person that they have to make the decision yes or no to. And seeing how they are, it, it makes you question any of those decisions that they make. Rob, lastly, and I appreciate your time. Uh, when we take a look at LeBron James and watching his social media platform, I mean, this is the guy that was told to shut up and dribble by by Fox oh. News, and it's just like, you know, it, it is so clear that so many athletes have the experience to be able to talk about uh, stories like George Floyd, dude, have the experience in their family or personally about dealing with police and everything that comes with uh, with the culture, and I, I've just. I want to get your thoughts on LeBron James and what he's been able to do while he's been a player because think about back in the day, right? Players in the Jordan era were afraid to be blackballed. Hello, Craig Hodges, oh. you know, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. You, they were afraid to be able to speak out on issues uh, uh, of color, issues that were that were uh, plaguing the community. And I just think here we are in an era now where we have surpassed that, where players don't feel like they're going to be blackballed or taken out of their sport. LeBron James and, and athletes of his ilk illustrate that on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a different time. Like you said, I, it, it's, a, it's weird because in the 60s and, and, and that part, you know, you saw a lot of black athlete activists kind of stepping up. And then well, something happened. I don't know if it's considered the Jordan era or what happened, but it kind of faded kind of to the back where it wasn't uh, – uh, it, was, it was dangerous for you to speak out uh, against racism or any type of injustice and things like that. You know, LeBron is a huge, you know, sports figure. If he doesn't – he doesn't have to speak on any of this. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have to talk about this. He doesn't have to open up a school. I mean, a, a lot of these athletes, and look, there's nothing wrong with giving to charities or anything, but they write their check, they put it on their taxes, and they go about their business and feel like they've done something. You know, you, it's a big difference between that and say, hey, I'm going to open a school and try to actually change these kids' you know, lives and everything. And I think the fact that he does have a voice, I think, honestly, I think it is in some people's eyes, I think it does ding them. You know, from a, even though it shouldn't have anything to do with what you do on the court, they do ding him for the fact that he does speak up. But we need voices like his, you know. I'm not saying that every athlete should be a role model. I'm not even saying that's their job. 
But before anything else, the African-American ones, look, you're black before you dribble the ball, before you caught a football or, or anything else. So you just try to remember that. You're, you're very blessed, you know, to, to, to do what you do and make millions of dollars for a game, but you're black before anything else. So any help is help that we need. Rob, I'm glad you spent some time with us in Chicago. Thanks so much for coming on the show, as always. Uh, no problem. You guys, like I said, I appreciate you having me on, letting me talk about this. Hopefully, you know, your voice, my voice, anybody that's helping out there, white, black, you know, whatever, you know, race that you are, if you are on the right side of history, you're doing a good thing. So don't think that nobody is listening. You're on the right side of history. Thank you, Robert Latow from BlackSportsOnline.com and TMZ Sports. With me, Jonathan Hood. You're listening to ESPN 1000. Is under the hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's under the hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Thanks for hanging out to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN. Chicago app. I think Jesse Rogers from ESPN.com. Jesse had a terrific column as he was able to get an exclusive with Tom Ricketts. The piece is entitled Cubs. Tom Ricketts says most revenue goes right back into the team. So amongst the stories that we have discussed here, we're wondering what is the, the Cubs, what are their, the Cubs revenue? What does that look like? During this COVID-19, because as you've seen, the Cubs have put a lot of money around Clark and Addison to refurbish Wrigley Field and also have other revenue streams around Wrigley Field. This doesn't look like your grandfather's Wrigley Field from years ago. There's a lot of of, um, bells and whistles and opportunity to spend money around Wrigley Field than ever before. So Jesse wrote a piece and it says Cubs owner Tom Ricketts pushed back on the perception that baseball teams are cash cows, telling ESPN on Tuesday that yearly revenues are mostly put right back into the team. And so this quote in particular stood out to me. The league itself does not make a lot of cash. I think there is a perception that we hoard cash and we take the money out And it's sitting in a pile we've collected over the years. Well, it isn't because no one anticipated a pandemic. No one expects to have to have drawn down on the reserves from the past. Every team has to figure out a way to plug the hole. Now, what I've long contended here during this COVID-19 is that if you're an owner, you not only can provide revenue and make money, but also find money. And you could be as rich as the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs, or as lowly as the Marlins and you know, Pittsburgh and Oakland in there as well as far as a lack of revenue stream that goes in from a big market team to a small market team. You could find money. If you're an owner, you can borrow. If you're an owner, you know someone that has money to be able to supplement income that you do not have. So when it comes to the labor issue, I always thought, well, you know, the owners are saying, I have no money. They're like the Monopoly man. It's pulling out their, they're pulling out their pockets to show that they have no money. And they just have this, well, what am I supposed to do kind of situation. It's like, well, as an owner, you can figure it out. Just because you and I are not going to games because of COVID-19, because the 
millionaires and billionaires can't figure it out doesn't mean that the owners don't have money. Oh, they have money, or if they don't, they know where to find it. But Jesse was on earlier talking about um, Tom Ricketts. And so Jesse was asked about his thoughts on the lack of cash and losing money this year. You were listening to our discussion when he says the league itself does not make a lot of cash. That's not going to fly with a lot of fans today either. Right. I mean, it's, it's a distinction there. Cash on hand, so to speak. It, they, they run on, short, on, on small margins. Now, again, this isn't just Ricketts. These, this is the entire ownership saying this, that they, they don't plan for these things because who could ever plan for a pandemic? The money and his big thing, and you can at least agree with him on this, is obviously we put our money back into our team because look at our payrolls. I mean, it'd be really negligence if they were building all these things, making all this money and not putting it into your payroll. But over the last four or five years, they have done that. So that's his comment to Scott Boris. We renovated Wrigley and had top payrolls. So what the heck do you want from us? Um, but the back to the cash on hand, it does sound crazy. Someone put it to me like this, and it, not Tom Ricketts, but it's like owning a Picasso, right? Um, the, every day you own it, it goes up in value. And every year you write a, a check to the insurance company, and that, that you're losing money on it. But the day you sell it, is the day you, you see the profits. It reminds me of a baseball team. The values are going up because, because of scarcity. I mean, that's the bottom line with pro sports. There's only 30 teams, right? Every league has about the same. And, and that's why the values go up. But they claim, not just Tom, everyone, that they don't see the value until they sell it. The cash on hand isn't um, a lot. And we see this in big business all the time, the airlines, right? There's not a lot of cash on hand. Whether that's right or wrong, I, I do believe it's somewhat factional factual um but but the answer again and i asked him about loans well we're, we're taking out loans already to 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 cover the losses this year and and no one's going to invest in us right now i can't go to minority owners right now and ask for more money that's not going to happen in a losing year so he's trying to state the case that the players have to come to the table and and, and then the difference is this as a league losing two billion or three billion that's the bottom line. For Ricketts, it's losing $150 million or, or whatever the number is going to be if they don't play um, or if they play too many games. And if you want to earn continue, the – I, I will say one more thing. They obviously um, believe if they play more, they lose more, or else they would have suggested more, right? I always thought, you know, play more, you make it up in television revenue, but obviously they're suggesting less, so that, that's probably better for them. <sighs> The fact that franchise values are extremely high doesn't answer the question of liquidity for teams. The Cubs employ 600 people with an additional 2,700 part-time employees. They say 70% of the revenue comes from the game day experience with fans in the stands. Now they're hoping to recoup two-thirds of what's left in an equitable deal with the players if it can be struck. Rickett said that the reason and the main reason it's at 70% is we do so well with attendance. A lot of clubs have trouble selling their tickets. A larger percentage of our revenue is just tickets. We're hoping to get 20% of our total revenue this year. It is um, really hard for me to believe. And of course, it's mainly baseball. We'll never know the books, right? They're just not going to tell us. And definitely not going to tell Scott Boris. But he says they put $750 million into the ballpark, says Tom Ricketts. They put 750 into the ballpark, and the dollars spent were to create the best 
place for players to play and the best place for the fans to watch the game. Totally understand that. But also I do not believe that owners are just completely living check to check. You are an owner, so now you just don't have any money. It's one thing for the players to balk some, but now you want them to take even less. It just feels like the strike, strike years. It feels like labor issues that are happening uh, with Major League Baseball. It's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate because, once again, you and I are left on the sidelines. This is baseball's time. No matter if it looks like the KBO with no fans in it or not, this is supposed to be our time. Yeah, whenever baseball does return... Uh, throughout this COVID-19, it probably will just be empty. But And we keep hearing from the Passons of the world and the Jessies of the world that eventually uh, that things will get done. But they have already done damage to their sport. This thing was supposed to kick off in March. It's June. And we still are without baseball. So there's another layer to this. And... So the Ricketts family over the years have had some controversy, not not necessarily Tom Ricketts, but also members of the Ricketts family. You know that they are uh, politically inclined. As a matter of fact, one of the gov- one of the um, Ricketts is a governor of Nebraska, Pete Ricketts. So David, let's do this for context. So people have, if people have not heard this, let's do this with Pastor Gerard Parker. Now, Pastor Gerard Parker is in Nebraska uh, with with uh, Pete Ricketts, who is the governor of Nebraska. And so apparently there was a meeting with uh, with African-American pastors in Nebraska. And Pastor Gerard Parker said this about Governor Ricketts of Nebraska. I sat in a room by myself for about a half hour with Mayor Gene Stothert, Pete Ricketts and the Pete. Uh, police chief of Omaha, Nebraska, talking and sharing. Other pastors showed up in the meeting and a few African-American leaders. We met for an hour and a half on the killing of the young man at the hands, young black man at the hands of a white man the other night in downtown Omaha. We met on it. I put context to the issues surrounding the systematic racism that produced it. Pete Ricketts said, the problem I have with you people. Did you hear what I just said? Governor Ricketts said, the problem I have with you people. And ladies and gentlemen, I walked out of the police chief's office. I walked out on Governor Pete Ricketts as he said he called us you people. Make this go viral. He called black pastors and black Afri- black leaders in Omaha you people. And I walked out on him. So the reason why that we want to play that for you is to put it in context, because Jesse uh, Rogers was asked this question. And the question was, will fans, Cup fans, be satisfied with the comments from Governor Pete Ricketts? I think that, no, and I'm not sure. I, I, I think denounce, you know, that he'd have to really come down on his dad and brother for, to satisfy fans, I think, and, 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 and anybody really probably 
and that's a that's a tricky situation. I think for any of us, right? I mean, your brother says something, your dad says something. You've got to now something as vile as his dad's emails. I mean, he did denounce it. Let's face it, he did denounce it. But to the extent that people are satisfied, I'm not sure what he could do. I mean, but you're, I don't think people are satisfied, and they probably knowing this just this one quote he gave me about Pete. Um, now, look, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, in full disclosure, I didn't go three, four, five minutes about. Pete Ricketts, uh, again, the, the conversation was mostly about baseball, but certainly there's an intersection here. Right. Um, and, and, and he did talk around it, the protests, respecting the neighborhood, wanting to help the neighborhood, um, and, and owning a team, like I said. But, but you know, it was only a minute or so about his brother and that one quote. So I, I, no one, I don't think anybody's gonna ever going to be completely satisfied. So uh, on Waddle and Sylvie, Jesse was asked a question about uh, Governor Ricketts. Well, let me just say this, that I, I've heard both sides. I was not in the room for what the African-American pastors uh, of Nebraska, uh, uh, Pastor Gerard Parker and Pete Ricketts. I was not in the room for that. But um, Pastor Parker wanted to make sure that, that his message went viral. Um, we have seen, as Jesse mentioned, comments from the past. This does not affect the box office at Wrigley Field. This does not affect Cub fans. We want to give you context of what was being said, but I will tell you that just because this is what Pete Ricketts may have said, maybe he did say it, it's not going to affect Cub fans either way because, again, the focus is on Tom Ricketts. The focus is on the Chicago Cubs and how this team can get better, get back to the mountaintop. Uh, will there be a financial commitment moving forward, or will they start selling off some of their, their team in 2020, 2021? So we understand how politically inclined uh, the Ricketts family is. And so when it comes to this story, I do not believe Cub fans will say, oh, is that how is this how Governor Ricketts feels in Nebraska? Well, I'm not going. I'm not going to the games. I'm done being a Cubs fan because of that. Ultimately, it's really about what's happening here. And there might be some people that's going to agree with um, Governor Ricketts or the Ricketts family overall and, and what how their politics are. That's not for me to say. All I know is that from a fan standpoint, because that's who I am at my core, the fans are not going to turn away and turn a blind eye to the Cubs because of uh, people in Tom Ricketts' family, simply. Uh, the focus will be on what's going to happen with this Cubs team and what is the focus of this Cubs team moving forward. That that's really going for for the typical fan. Um, there is going to be some, and this is why the, the question was broached on Waddle and Sylvie. Jesse gave his comments, and, and and you know whether or not fans will have an issue with it. I think the majority will not. The majority there will be some social media uh, backlash on this, but ultimately, no one's turning their cub hat in because of Pete Ricketts. Tales from the Hood is next. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. 
Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Glad that you're with me here on this Tuesday night. We will have Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday in an hour from now. We'll hear from former NFL player and current, well, he calls himself the real world champion, Moose will be on the program. TNA or Impact Wrestling airs on Access TV every Tuesday night. Uh, and so we'll hear from Moose, who has been an outstanding crossover star from the NFL as a kind of a journeyman offensive lineman to one of the brighter stars in professional wrestling. We'll find out his transition about that in an hour from now. So if you're a wrestling fan, tell them to tune in. In about an hour from now, we'll have Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, as we do every night on Tuesdays uh, at uh, 930 uh, right here on ESPN 1000. So we are monitoring everything that's happening across the country, especially in our city, with the George Floyd protests that are taking place. Uh, if you missed our show yesterday, man, you, you missed a, a, a ton of information about what's happening in our city, uh, as well as happening in cities like Columbus, Ohio, and Los Angeles, and uh, in D.C., uh in Minneapolis, of course, um, because Henry Lake, who's a friend of this program, every time we talk Twins, every time we talk Gophers, Big Ten, um, whatever Twin Cities, I always rely on my friend Henry Lake from WCCO Radio in the Twin Cities. And this was a different conversation because this is something that he and I have never talked about regarding George Floyd and police brutality in this country. And so um, if you missed uh, part of our conversation, here it is from uh, last night, Henry Lake and I talking about what's happening in his hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I guess my initial reaction was anger, frustration, that here again we are in a situation where body is accosted by law enforcement whether the charge or whatever the incident that created the situation was valid or not, it resulted in a death. It resulted in a senseless death. And and I just, I got emotional about it immediately because, you know, we have a justice system for a reason, Jonathan. When people do things, um, and I don't know that it's, it's 100% correct that he that he was you know had forging a check or passing a, a fake $20 bill or whatever the circumstances is. Those certain situations we remedy that with um, the police and we remedied that with charges and going about it through the uh, judicial system. And I'm so emotional I can barely even talk. But just it, it doesn't it shouldn't result in a man being publicly killed in the manner in which we saw it last week. And so I initially was angry. I was frustrated. I was fearful because we see this play out way too often. And so those were kind of my initial, um, my initial thoughts. And then over the span and of the week and the days that would, would follow, it just continued to fester and grow and, make me more upset and then the the community and the state and the the nation started to get angry about it and so right now we're we're all kind of globally saying that we're fed up we're fed up with all of this minneapolis is your is your hometown i want you to tell me can you characterize for me the relationship between um black people and police historically from your knowledge yeah it's not good so so just kind of put things in perspective you know, when you think about 
the Twin Cities because that that you know when you talk about the the, the state of Minnesota, um, everybody talks about Minneapolis-St. Paul, the Twin Cities, right? That that's where all of the the people of color primarily reside. We have some other smaller cities, Mankato, Duluth, St. Cloud, places like that. Um, but but that when when people think about the crux of of black people, Native Americans, the Hmong community, whatever, you think of the Twin Cities. And for so many years, there have been incidents um, with a racial component that involved the Minneapolis Police Department that have been documented but have never been dealt with. And it's unfortunate. And we're talking about a lot of police brutality, a lot of racial profiling, and just it manifests from going from the Minneapolis Police Department to other entities as well. But specifically, we're talking about the Minneapolis Police Department because that is who was involved in Mr. Floyd's death. It's been um, an ugly history that's been detailed recently. Two days ago, there's a big article in the, in the New York Times talking about it. And it's being led by um, a police union and a gentleman by the name of Bob Kroll that people um, have categorized him as a white supremacist. He has been categorized as overtly racist. And so when you have somebody that is allegedly that way and has defended police, even when, they have, when they've been 100% in the wrong, you're never going to get justice when things are wrong. And that's the problem now. I'll give you a perfect example. This morning, he finally, after a week of turmoil, has came out and put together a page-and-a-half statement. And he essentially, just to summarize for you, is supporting those officers and what took place and essentially said that, well, hold on, Mr. Floyd was not a saint. He was not an angel. And he referenced Mr. Floyd having a situation that occurred back in 2007 or something like that. Like, how in the world? How in the world would you feel if somebody took out your loved one's life in the manner that the world just saw, where they did not get justice at all? You make reference to, well, they got an egregious speeding ticket a decade ago or whatever the, the situation is. What does one thing have to do with the, the other? This is what we're up against, and we cannot continue to have stuff play out in our country. If we say that racism is a disease and it's, it's, it's an ill on society, then we have to address it. We know that police brutality is systematic. And the number one thing that I'll tell you, Jay Hood, and this is the reason why I'm so alarmed and upset, for not only my city but for our country, is that the issue of policing has not been addressed. And what I mean by that is until we get to a point where we hold officers accountable for indiscriminately taking lives when they don't have to, then we're not we're just running in circles. That's that's all we're doing. If if we know how to de escalate situations with white Americans, why can't you de escalate situations with black Americans? What's the difference? That has to be addressed. It, it, it is problematic. Can people talk to me about James Blake, the former tennis player, 
and him having his issues with police brutality. Can we talk about Cabo Sebalosha and how he was assaulted by the New York Police Department and was not able to play for the rest of the postseason for his team? These, no one's immune to this stuff. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Throughout the, this time that we're keeping our eyes on with George Floyd and the um, curfews as well as the protests, uh, whether they are peaceful or rowdy, we're keeping our eyes on what's going on around the country and including our city here. But there's so many layers to this George Floyd death that is um, that has come to the forefront and this might be layer 15 or 16. I think we've covered a lot of it here on Under the Hood over the last few shows. But the responsibility of coaches in high places, coaches, leadership, right? It, we've seen on social media, white, black, Latino, Asian, so many players that have spoken out against police brutality in this country. And, you know, it, it's... The, the thing is, is that if you don't get it, you don't get it. You know, no, no one is uh, no one is twisting your arm to be able to walk on the side of right saying that, hey, you know, we, we've got to be able to have police reform. Innocent citizens, no matter what color they are, including African-Americans, should not be abused. They should be if you if you're wrong, you should be arrested like anybody else. But to be able to have that level of abuse, you know, enough is enough. It, it's been enough. I mean, you you would think after a hundred years it might be enough, two hundred, three hundred, maybe you think it'd be enough. But it's still systemic racism and a disconnect uh, that has happened in this country for way too long. George Floyd is the tipping point for so many uh, that are familiar with the story. But as far as leadership, one of the stories is whether or not. There is enough conversation from those in high places like coaches. We have seen some Instagram and some uh, Twitter messages from some coaches, like in college football, the NFL, that have spoken their piece. And I may disagree with Robert Latal in some ways. Like, I would rather for someone to be able to speak on the issue versus not speaking on the issue at all. And um, there's been, I know my, our friend Dominique uh, Foxworth, who he hasn't been on the show for a while, but he's um, a good friend. Dominique Foxworth is on Get Up uh, on ESPN, and he's was not happy with um, coaches like Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney in college football, believing that there should be more said, that they should be on the front lines because they have a number of African-Americans on their team uh, playing for them and have played for them over the years. So those coaches should speak up. Listen, every everyone's different. I get that. Um, but he feels like it's cursory. Well, I would say this, that anybody that believes that this is wrong should speak up. Uh, I was on with Waddle and Sylvie yesterday before our show for Under the Hood yesterday. And and one of the first questions they asked me is like, well, what should we do? And, and I just I just cut Tom off and just like, what do you mean? What should we do? Like, you have a pulpit. You have a forum. Just like I have a forum. If you believe it's wrong, you should say it. And that's the start of start of all of this to be able to say that that is that is wrong. You don't you don't people don't need help with this. 
If you think what you see on your screen is wrong and systemic racism where you continue to see almost every other week, seemingly almost every month, there's some kind of story about this from police that's making good cops look bad, then you should speak out on it. If this is something that does not affect you and you don't care about it, then you also are the problem because because just just killing people just because you have a badge is wrong. But Herm Edwards was on earlier on Golik and Wingo. And Herms has a perspective um, as the Arizona State coach. He worked for ESPN for a long time. His thoughts on what's been going on with George Floyd. These times right now in America, it's kind of ironic, Brody, because uh, in 1968, uh, uh, April 4th, uh, Dr. King was assassinated. And I can remember the riots that took place and all the unrest that was taking place. I was 14 years old. And uh, sitting at the table and visiting with my father and trying to and asking him, well, why is all this? What is all this, right? And now all of a sudden you spin it forward 52 years later. I got two daughters, Gabrielle and Vicky, 14 and 13, and I'm sitting at the supper table and they're asking me, Daddy, why is this all happening? Why, why are the why are the police? Why does the police do that to that man? It's amazing. It just really is. And and when you think about you know justice. Lady Justice, she has a blindfold on, and she holds two scales and, uh, and a sword. And at times, uh, people of color have just felt like it's been an unbalanced system, and the justice system has some cracks in it. And until we're able to fix it, uh, we run into these problems. And now the young generation is kind of going through what I went through in 1968 uh, when I watched it all happen and was involved in it, you know, was involved in watching our country go through these growing pains and the voices that haven't been heard, uh, they want to be heard. And um, it's a shame uh, because now with the violence and the looting, it's really, it, it, it's hijacking the message. And you don't want that to take place. That, that should never take place. But, but that's kind of what's happened in the last couple of nights. So the thoughts from Herm Edwards, Arizona State head football coach and longtime analyst at ESPN talking about his perspective. Think about someone that grew up in the 60s. For Dr. King, and and I know he's been quoted a lot, you will not hear me giving quotes of Dr. King. I think people have exhausted that. They've bastardized it for a long time here. Um, and, And to me, you have to, before just quoting and just picking, cherry picking quotes, just understand what he was trying to do. You know, it's it's about nonviolence, but it also is to be able to bring people together. And some people like to be separate. Some people like that. And, and um, I don't understand it because I don't have no problem being close to people and, and understanding um, different values and culture. But some feel comfortable in their own skin, comfortable in their own space and couldn't care less about uh, a Latino or black or an Asian or anybody else or woman. Everyone's different. I totally get that. But I just, I have never been one to feel because you're different from me that I'm just, I have no tolerance for you. And I, I don't understand that mentality, but some do have that. And so just, just think about from her Edwards standpoint, how long he's been on this earth and to be able to see that era and to be able to see it bubble to the surface again here in 2020 with, um, um, where there's a divide and a disconnect between races, um, especially with police brutality, something that we saw in the past. Just, I want to make sure I just point this out before we break here, and that is for many years, for, dec- for decades, for many, many years, the feeling was, well, 
whatever you say, whatever you told police, as far as you being brutalized and beaten by police, that's all conjecture because there's no proof, right? Where's the proof? No proof at all of what happened. Now we have videotape. Now we have uh, cell phones. We have the ability to see what happened. And even still, justice is not being served more times than not. The hope is, is that moving forward, because of people on this and saying, okay, I've had enough of this. George Floyd did now. Now what? Right? Hopefully, we will be able to see police reform. Because the good cops are, are made to look bad because of Derek Chauvin, three other cops that were there on the scene in Minneapolis, and so many other cases that we have seen uh, in our lifetime. My block, my hood, my city. We get a chance to talk to the founder of my block, my hood, my city. Activist Jamal Cole will tell us what's happening uh, in the streets of Chicago when it comes to George Floyd, the protests, and also the looters in the city of Chicago. That's next on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.